0: Well, we are in this sermon series, and we are talking about stories. And uh, the focus of today is uh, on the stories of Jesus that um, challenge us, and uh, stories that shape us, and stories that sometimes are kind of difficult to to accept, if you will, and figure out how we're going to live this out. So, so how do I? What do I mean by this? Um, there's a story in the book of Acts that. It is one of these stories that every time I read the book of Acts, when I get to this one, it's like, it is disturbing to me. It is shocking to me. Uh, Every time I read it, I'm like... I, this this makes no sense to me. Uh, Mark and I have had many late night conversations about this story. I've heard sermons preached on this story, but I, I'll give it to you just real quickly, and then we're get, we're going to jump into the words of Jesus. But but in this story, uh, there's a man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, and they sell some of their property, and they take a portion of the money to the apostles, and they give that money to the apostles, and they say, basically, here's the total totality of what we got when we sold this property and we want to give it to the church now what they had done was it was a lie because they were holding some of the property back for themselves some of the money back for themselves and y'all they dropped dead I mean, like they died, like they dropped dead, and like Peter, basically, he says, you know, basically, you shouldn't lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know why. Every time I read that, I just have the hardest time getting over that. That'd be kind of like Mark and me standing up here uh, during our stewardship campaign, which we're in, and saying, "Hey, Mark and I, we give ten percent of our income. You should do the same." And then Lisa Patterson, who is our financial director, if she's like, "Well, no, they don't do that. You know, we, we do actually, we do." But, uh, but anyway. But it, but it was that kind of thing. So so it's kind of shocking to me. But this time when I was reading through the book of Acts, and those of you who are following along with us, you know that we are. That's where we are. I, I saw something. That, to me, I thought, I don't know why I've missed this every time, because I think I'm just so shocked that Ananias and Sapphira just fall down dead just instantly, that there's something that is even kind of as radical and unusual that that I've not paid attention to. So, I want to read to you uh, from the book of Acts. This happens right before, and then again, we're going to jump over to the words of Jesus. But this is, they're describing the church. They're describing this New Testament church. They're not very old. Um, Let me just set the stage. They are comprised of, of Jews and Gentiles, uh, free people, slaves, uh, people who are from the highest echelons of society down to the very lowest. It is multi-ethnic. Now, that right there should be kind of shocking um, in that day and age. as shocking maybe sometimes as it is today. But this is what it says, that all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. It's like they they felt like Everything that I have is a gift from God. I mean, God has given this to me, and so I want to share it uh, with those in my community. The apostles are testifying powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, God's great blessing was on them all. And it says, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and to give to those in need. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I don't know why, but I thought, wait, that should be the shocking part of this story is that people were selling their land. And then the other thing, they were selling their houses. Now, I don't know about y'all. I'd have a hard time selling my house today and giving 100% of it to the United Methodist Church. I mean, that's just like, where am I going to live? Am I going to get a tent? And I wouldn't even own my backyard to have a tent in. So there was this this radical. Generosity, uh, shocking, if you will, and and I thought, what was it that so shaped? these men and women, that that would be kind of how they were living their lives, that there was this there was this complete abandon, and they, if they saw someone in need, they, they wanted to help them out. They didn't close their hearts. Now, I will say, before you just think they all had completely given everything away, I, I do think there is some balance as, as the apostles are talking to Ananias and Sapphira. One of the things that he said, he said was, Why did you do this? He said, because while the property was still yours, you could choose whether or not you could sell that property and give it to the church. And once you sold the property, that money was yours. So there wasn't this compulsory uh, expectation, if you will, that everyone had to sell their land, sell their houses. No, there wasn't compulsory. And so they still, there was still individual ownership of property. So it wasn't, you know, there's some, some, you know, philosophies out there we should just give everything away but but no he he was saying it is it is the lying and the greed that that god is so grieved by to see your brother in need and you're not helping out but i was thinking about this and i thought what was it that shaped these disciples these apostles you know we're talking about stories and it reminded me of a story that luke records uh, a conversation that jesus had with the crowds and with his disciples but this story that we're going to be looking at is in the form of a parable. And I think as we look at this parable and how Jesus unpacks it, I believe it has the power to, to shape and to transform us. But I think it was the story and stories like this that helped create that culture that we see in the New Testament. And, and I want to just kind of, as we look at this, I think we can look at it on the surface But in this, Jesus is just this masterful teacher. He is going to keep pulling the layers back and the layers back and the layers back. And he's going to kind of, I think, get to the heart of why sometimes as human beings, as humanity, that we are not generous. And when I say generous, I don't just mean generous with our finances and generous with our wealth. That's a part of it. But I also mean generous with um, how we treat one another, how we see one another. I'm just, you know, I know we are headed into an election right now, and I see so often such a lack of generosity towards people that we don't agree with. And, and I think you know, the great thing about a democracy and freedom of speech is that yes, we can disagree on policies and we can articulate and why I think my policy is right, you think your policy is right. But there's such a lack of generosity towards the heart and the motive of the person with whom we disagree. And so so I see this lack of generosity in many ways. And so I think Jesus is gonna help us understand kind of what's at the root, what's underneath that. And if we can get a hold of this, I think it has the, the, the possibility to transform us, to, to free us up, if you will, but also to help us become those men and women that are gonna stand out and contrast and be different from and be people that point to and and shine and kind of point the, the way and shine the light on who Jesus is. So with all that, if you've got your Bibles, uh, open up to Luke 12, and I'm just gonna be reading, and, and this is just gonna be, they call this exegesis. We're just gonna kind of walk through it verse by verse, um, and I'm just gonna comment and unpack along the way. So Luke 12, it says, then someone called from the crowd. So Jesus is preaching, he's teaching. There is a crowd. And someone just calls out. And this is what they say. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Please please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, let's just pause right here. Have any of y'all ever um, been involved in a family squabble over money after a parent has died? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) it's messy it is messy and families I mean yeah I'm okay I just keep my mouth shut sometimes I get up here and I get to rambling and I'll say things I can't take back and then it's out there in the public all right let's just say it gets messy and so we don't know kind of the full story I do know that in the old testament and the law that kind of what the laws of inheritance were at that time was that two-thirds went to the oldest son and so it could be that you know he's basically saying I don't like the law you know I don't think this is fair it could be that his brother you know maybe through manipulating things wasn't even given him his his one-third share we we don't we don't know there uh, all we know is he felt like an injustice is being done against him he felt like Jesus needed to come and help him for his brother to divide things out in a way that was fair so this is how Jesus responds he says friend who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that so basically Jesus isn't going to engage uh, I'm not sure why, but he basically, he doesn't engage, but then he looks at the man, there's the crowd, there's the disciples, and he, he kind of makes a statement that doesn't seem connected initially because you kind of want him to take take this guy's side, but he says, beware, be on guard against every kind of greed. Now, now these words right here, they're not just like, beware, be on guard, but he's like, No, like like watch out. Like if somebody were about to, I don't know, come and well, like if a a cougar's about to attack you. Imagine that you're on a walk and somebody goes, oh, beware, watch out, guard. Like in other words, it is this word like you're about to be under attack. Like, like beware, be on guard, protect your house, protect your heart. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Because life is not measured by how much you own. Basically, there's more to life than, than what you own. Now, now we need uh, property and houses and ways to make money so we can you know, live and eat and save for retirement and all the good things. He's not saying about that. But he's, say, he's saying, in this place when you are trapped in greed, you begin to measure your life, your worth by what you own. And then he told them a story, sermon series. We're talking about stories. And so this is, this is a made-up story right here that he's about to tell. It did not really happen. It is not grounded in history. It is a, like an Aesop's fable. It is a story to teach. And so basically he says, there was a rich man. And this rich man had a fertile Farm that produced fine crops. So what he's trying to do now, he's gonna kinda of pull back the layer and he's gonna he's gonna say, Let me help you understand what's underneath the surface when you see people not being generous, being greedy. Uh, let, let, let's pull this back. And so he says, There's a rich man and he has a fertile farm that produces fine crops. Back in the day, if you would imagine, if if there was a farmer and he was rich and he had fertile land, uh, he would probably be surrounded by more of a peasant community, if you will. Uh, Those who were probably living more hand to mouth. And it might be, it probably was, that they actually depended on this rich landowner to sell them grain, to bring his grain to the market. Also, the law back then is that if when you were a landowner and you had a field that you were not supposed to uh, you know I guess gather the crops from the edges so that those who were poor that they was called gleaning that they could come and they could actually gather the grain that was on the edges of the field so so if you were a rich landowner with a fertile farm you had a responsibility not just to yourself and your descendants but you had a Responsibility to the community in which you lived. But here's this man, and he says to himself, What should I do? Oh my gosh, he's got a problem. I'm rich. My land is producing, now what should I do? So he's, you wouldn't think he has a problem. But he says, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and I will say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, some of us would think, well, that's a great plan. He's got a 401k. He's got a great retirement system. You know, he's, he is basically, he's 65. He's going to get to go on a cruise and go see Europe and do all the fun things. What, what a smart businessman. Let's see what Jesus, what, God, what Jesus says that God said. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We've got a couple of things. One, there was this selfishness, but think about this agrarian society. Here was a a piece of land that was rich. It was fertile. It could produce crops to feed people. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to let this land go fallow. I'm not going to plow it. I'm not going to seed it. I'm not going to take care of it. I'm not going to gather it. And the grain that I have, I'm not going to bring it to the market this year. I'm going to withhold. What happens, Econ 101, when, you, with, um, when, you, when there's a, a decrease in supply? Is that right? But there's an increase in demand. You control the market and, and you're the sole supplier, you know, got a monopoly. What what is he doing right here to the prices of grain? He's driving them up. He's driving them up. So it's not just, you know, the 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 thing that this guy is doing, it's not that he was being wise with his resources, that he was taking care of, you know what I'm saying? He had a good, a good retirement plan. But he continued, he wasn't allowing his land to be productive, to care for his neighbor. He had closed his heart. Then Jesus begins to unpack this story. I would have, if I had been Jesus, I probably would have gone, pointed my finger with a little bit of self-righteousness, kind of almost the way he does the Pharisees, and go, see, that is so bad. He should not have done that. What a selfish bad, you know, all that. But Jesus doesn't do that. He turns and he looks at his disciples And this is so clear. These are the same guys that we see in the book of Acts now who are, you know, leading the church, creating the culture. And he said, that is why I tell you, do not worry. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were talking about greed. We're talking about greed and selfishness and self-centeredness. But now you're talking about worry. And I think Jesus would smile knowingly. Mm -hmm. Because I want to tell you why. Why humanity can act in such selfish and greedy ways, and how, I wanna give you the tools to guard your heart. I wanna give you the tools and the insights to protect your heart from every form of greed, because you're gonna need this when we jump over to the book of Acts. He says, this is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, about whether you'll have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. And then he's going to give them two kind of object lessons. He's going to talk about a raven, and he's going to talk about lilies and flowers in the field, just things they could see. But underneath it, he's going to ask them some pretty important questions. He says, look at the ravens. They're not planting or harvesting or storing food in the barns, for God feeds them. And then he says something, and if you're not listening, you'll miss it. He says, and you, Peter... You, John, you, James, you, Andrew, you are more valuable to him than the birds. I think that he would want to just put their faces in his hands and say, so You don't have to worry because you are valuable to God. You are valuable. He goes on down and he says, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And then, and then he says something else, and if you're not listening, you'll miss it. And it doesn't seem like it has anything in the world to do with greed, but it has everything in the world to do with greed. He says, and if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers, he will certainly care for you. I could just see him if he could take their their faces in his hands and say, Peter, James, John, Andrew, God cares for you. God cares for you. And he says, don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about these things. You know, these things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers all over the world. Your father, listen, I want to tell you one more thing. Don't miss it. Your father already knows your needs. Your father already knows your needs. And I feel like that there are three lies that we fall prey to when we are trapped in greed. And one is this, not knowing that you're valuable to God. And the second one is not believing that God will care for you. And the third one is not trusting that God sees and knows your needs. And I feel like if we, can, if we can deepen our core, if we can believe that God sees, that he cares, that he knows, it frees us up to not measure our lives by our possessions. He goes on and he says this, seek the kingdom of God, everything else will be added to you. And in verse 32, and this is is what is in your bulletin there. He says, so don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. I think that fear of not being seen, of God not loving us, caring us, knowing our needs, that, that fear, that fear is what just grips our heart and is what is so often underneath greed. Uh, John Mark Comer, who is a preacher that I love, uh, that pastor that I follow out in Portland, Oregon, and, uh, and he said it this way. He said, um, as you read the New Testament, fear is the love killer. And I love that phrase, fear is the love killer. He said, fearful people are not loving people. And he was speaking to the, you know, the current political climate that we're in in his, in his message this past Sunday, but he said, behind most of the outrage and the anger and the polarization that you see online and wherever, he said, behind almost all of it is fear. But perfect love casts out all fear. Fear, I think this perfect love that we are loved that that opens up our hearts to love others is kind of our our i don't know it, it breaks us free from trying to hoard and to hold on it goes on and and these are difficult words and I was speaking to somebody about this before I came up here on um, what a hard statement this is sell your possessions. And give to those in need. And this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven will never get old or develop. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Does that mean that I'm just to sell everything I have? Go sell my house? Go sell my... I don't think that's what Jesus was saying here. because you look in the New Testament, he, they told Ananias and Sapphira, he said, the property was yours, you know. Um, the Old Testament does give kind of a rule about, about generosity, kind of the 10% is what, that was kind of the norm to give 10%. But I think what he's saying here is hold your possessions, hold your wealth, hold your love, your compassion, you know, with open hands, with open hands allowing the Lord to take what you, because it's his, he's given it to you as a gift. And how would you have me use it for your kingdom? I remember having a, just a really interesting conversation with um, a man. I, I called him my big boss. And what I meant by this, I worked for a nonprofit, and my salary was funded by uh, this man's family's foundation. Um, and so, you know, once a month or so, I would go check in with him and talk about the program and kind of what his wishes were. But, but this gentleman was the... Um, I guess the last, the son of a, it was a third generation business. I I don't want to give too many details because some of you might be able to figure out who it is. But anyway, but he, it was a third generation. And um, this family was extraordinarily wealthy, multiple businesses. And in fact, a couple of generations earlier, they had taken a certain percentage of their stock and had put it into a foundation. And now this foundation gave away millions and millions of dollars every year. And so I was talking to this gentleman and he was talking about when he came to know Christ. He was a young man. And he, and, he, and he had inherited a tremendous amount of family wealth. And he said, I remember, you know, I wrestled with this passage right here because I was like, Lord, you know, am I, supposed to, am I supposed to give it all away? Am I supposed to just give it all away? And he felt like the Lord spoke to him and said, no, but do good with what I've given you. Do good with what I've given you. And through this man's foundation, or the family foundation, um, you know, and I was, my program, we were recipients, and we would write grants, and and in fact, their foundation, they called it the second generation, the third generation, I mean, there were like five generations from this one family that, you know, we could write grants to. Um... I think about the good because he was a wise man and he was a good businessman and he was a good money manager. His family had, had been good stewards of what they had been given. And yet they gave a percentage of it away that was completely dedicated to making the world a better place. One of the things that the program that I worked with that we did is that this, this, this uh, foundation, they gave scholarships uh, to college students and then and in exchange, I guess it was really a stipend, these college students would work in the nonprofit community in Columbus. And so what a great gift and, and what a contrast to this rich farmer who said, okay, I've got the potential to make wealth here. I've got land and it's fertile and it's productive. I could do so much good with this. But he said, no. And he closed his ears to the cry of the needy. He closed his ears to his community around him. This is kind of hard and challenging, but also kind of liberating. And I don't know what the Lord is you know, saying to you, and Mark and I are not asking you all to sell your houses and give them to Martha Bowman. <laughs> but I would challenge us all to say, Lord, is there anything I'm holding on to? Is there something I'm getting my identity from? Something that I'm not willing to just... You know, live with open hands and in two areas, I just want to you know just kind of where do we this is a call to to be generous to be faithful and just in this moment, I want to invite and encourage you to be generous um, and and um compassionate and kind as we head into this election cycle that there are people that you do not agree with there are people that I do not agree with but that doesn't mean I have to be mean-spirited and so I just want to encourage you as we are heading into the days and the weeks to come let us be kind and compassionate and gracious be have generous spirits towards one another let us do things that build our community that build our nation but that don't tear it apart and then also as we are you know, in our stewardship campaign, I would invite you to pray for, um, this this is if you're a member here, you know, and if you're a regular attender, um, how would God have you uh, pledge for the next uh, upcoming year? You know, 10% is kind of the Old Testament rule. But um, Andy Stanley said this, and I don't know if this is true or not. I've not really looked at it. But, But basically he said there's nowhere in the New Testament that it talks about the tithe. Now, somebody could check back, check me on that. I don't know if that's true or not. But over and over and over, over Jesus in the New Testament just talk about generosity I know for me I, I need I need to know where that mark is because I don't I, have, I don't like to always be generous sometimes I want to hold on to it or but um, but he says be generous if you see a need, meet it. And as you pledge to the budget, what it does is it helps us to, uh, to plan responsibly uh, and be good stewards as we look at our goals as a church for 2021. So what is our message today? This is a story of Jesus that uh, has the power to shape us as we follow him. And so may this word today be a call to stay faithful.